Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Kim McCullough. Uh, Kim, welcome. Glad to have a nice Toronto area person on. This is always a treat. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Let's jump straight into it. So you recently, uh, in the past few years here, started Total Female Hockey, uh, which is absolutely amazing. I just feel like there's not enough good quality content and programming out there for female hockey. What drove you to start that in the first place? Well, for me, it, I started hockey really late. Uh, I started when I was 13. I, I guess I played house league on the outdoor rinks before that. But um, when I started, I became obsessed with it. I was a very, you know, like tomboy, played all the sports. Um, and this was like pre-internet days. But there was like nothing for me, nothing that spoke to what I needed as a female athlete. So, you know, you'd look in a magazine, it'd be like how to get like be 220 pounds and like buff like a, a bodybuilder or you know, you'd read another magazine about how to like eat so you could be super skinny. And these were just not things that I, as a high performance athlete, uh, I, and I came from soccer uh, and basketball. So I, I had a good athletic background and I just was desperate to find something that spoke to me. So it was once I finished my pro career, um, this would be about 15 years ago. Um, I just started writing and, and trying to fill that niche because uh, I'd been so immersed in the female hockey for so long. And I just find the messaging is different. I, I don't think what we do and how we train is any different on the ice or off the ice, really. But the messaging behind it is quite different, um, you know, because the, for the females are different than males. Um, and so I was really trying to speak to the 13-year-old version of myself who was would have done anything to get better. And if I had read an article that said, do this and this, I would have done it triple the time the article said. Um, so that was really the void I was, I was trying to fill. And I'm, I'm a little surprised, uh, more people haven't jumped into the void with me, um, and, and being exclusively, uh, focused on the, the female game, but I'm happy to do it. And, uh, it's really content driven and experience driven. Um, so whether it's the stuff we do online or, um, the camps I run, it, it's all females for females and, um, yeah, I absolutely love it. So you started late in life at age 13 uh, playing hockey. I feel like that's it's usually a real struggle with the whole skating ideal, but I'm guessing up in Canada, you may have had a little bit of that down already. Uh, and then you went on to, you know, pro career, started a league, like did a lot, did a lot with it. Well, some would argue I, my skating's still not very good, but uh, it wasn't my strong suit necessarily. I was quintessential, like, 90s hockey player like great north south not a lot of east west um but lots of speed 
and lots of intensity. I was like your prototypical F1 for checking forward, scored a lot of ugly goals from below the hash marks. That's kind of my jam. So I uh, didn't need a lot of heel to heel and, and linear crossovers that I teach now. It always makes me laugh when I'm demoing them now. So I'm like, I would have never done this as a player. Um, but yeah, I started late and you know what? I just, uh, I just loved it when you're obsessed with something. I mean, I think until you've truly been obsessed with something, you don't really get it. But I was like at the outdoor rink all the time and I was doing extra on my own, not with skills coaches or people like me, just like out there on my own, figuring it out. And I think that's a little bit lost these days. Um, the idea of unstructured play and players learning by just going out on the outdoor rink and playing with whoever is there. I actually think that's how I got my hockey IQ. I was playing, you know, pickup hockey where nobody's wearing the same jersey. You know, everyone's better than you, worse than you, you know, nobody's name. And yet you're still trying to play this sport that requires a fair amount of coordination to make plays happen. Um, that I just don't see that a lot. I've never really seen that in the female game as much. Um, the idea of going and playing pickup hockey is a bit foreign with the girls. Um, but, I, you know, you go, I drive past outdoor rinks now in Toronto and they're empty. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of what, what you teach and what I teach in the hockey IQ side, uh, should be a little bit more organic and not so scripted, um, in terms of how we develop players. Yeah. And that's the tough part. Like it seems to me, and, and I don't know, this could be a generational thing and every generation goes the one behind me. Oh, what the heck? Uh, been like that forever, but I'm, I, I just see a lot of people looking to others and like, needing to ask permission like am i able to do this should i do this like what do, what do, what do you what do you want me to do and it's always like on a structure everyone's got a plan it's super formal or like they're just like eh, i'm just hanging out doing whatever and, there, and it just seems like there's not a ton of folks that go out there and own the development just enjoy it or messing with things so when they i do find them they stick out like sore thumbs so i love the fact that you're talking about like going out and owning your own development and what that was like. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on you compared to what you see now. Yeah. Well, it's hard, right? Cause my whole business is what I do now, which is like structured and like come and train with me. Right. So like, I can't really just like go to the outdoor rink and, you know, work myself out of a job. But, you know, I find because I only work with, with girls and, and female athletes, I find they are maybe less confident overall to say, Hey, I'm going to go and play at the outdoor rink with 20 guys. Like I thought nothing of it because I grew up playing every sport with the boys and I just got used to no girls being there. Uh, but if you, if I look now, I look at my clientele, the hundreds of players I play with, there's maybe 10 who would actually go to an outdoor rink on their own or with a buddy and play with a bunch of guys. Like, you know, they would go to the girls hour of, of outdoor hockey, you know, but they wouldn't necessarily do that. And, and I think that's just a confidence thing. And, you know, generally like doing things that are outside the box that aren't normal. Right. And I always say this to players, if you want to stand out from everybody else on your team, you can't do what all the other 16 people on your team do. Like that just makes you normal. And if you want to be elite, you want to be better. You want to get a scholarship. You want to play on team Canada. Like it takes a lot more than just showing up and doing what everyone else does. And, and I think that's hard. The girls, um, they want to do the right things. They want to do things the right way, which is a gift as a coach. Um, to coach them because they're not, you draw it on the board. I, I barely use a board, actually. My board like stays in my bag. But if you draw it on the board, they'll stand exactly where you put that X. They'll go exactly where you draw that line. And if you're coaching a team and it's system driven, that's a gift 
but it does nothing to develop hockey IQ because with the girls, the puck will be six feet away and they'll be like, but coach, you told me to stand on the hash marks, you know, but the little black thing is right there and you should probably get it. And, and again, I haven't coached a lot of boys hockey, um, not for years, but my understanding in speaking to coaches, it's kind of the flip. The guys are like, yeah, yeah, coach. I heard about the drill. Sounds nice. I'm going to go chase the little black thing. So, um, you know, with the girls, the more unstructured it can be, the more you ask them to think, uh, the more you, you question them and say, hey, what would you do here? What's your choice? You know, I, I explain drills and they're like, where do we go? I'm like, I just told you, go get the puck out of the corner, go to the other end on a two on one. They're like, but where do I stand? I don't know. Well, that's, well, that's, the, that's, that's the beauty of uh, no whiteboard. Uh, you, you know, you can't really script it up as much. Um, I'm curious why you decided to abandon the whiteboard. I've, I've done the exact same thing where I'll maybe show some video, but realistically, I'm just talking through things or maybe we'll just do a quick demo of general ideas of how to do the drill. But I'm trying to like give them as little as possible to accomplish the goal and trying to create that little gap that they have to fill their own creativity, their own mind and see what kind of creations come out. Yeah. I think it was just born of, again, the, the fact that the girls are going to do it. They're so analytical and they want to do it correctly. And I found in coaching, you know, I was coaching U uh, 18 AA and, and junior here in Ontario, which is the highest level for the girls. And these players are very talented, right? So you're not, you don't need to explain to them like low and slow on as the center and support, like they kind of got it. Um, but again, there's that, that internal need, desire to do it right. And I just found they became robots. And I thought, if you're going to play college hockey, you know, those coaches might, you know, whiteboard the heck out of you and say, stand here and stand here. But if in your minor hockey career, I can make you more creative and I can get you flipping pucks out of the zone and I can get you doing turnbacks and I can get you delaying in the neutral zone when you don't really have to, that's going to make you stand out. That's going to make you get those college hockey opportunities. And then if they want to dump and chase the heck out of you, like, you can figure that out, right? So I think if we develop that baseline of, of hockey IQ when they're younger, then whatever system or structure the coach wants to have, that player will be able to do. What I see a lot in minor hockey is that players succeed because of the structure. Teams succeed because of the structure, right? Like I last year I coached um, a U11 AA team. AA is the highest level we have with girls in Ontario. We went to provincials and we weren't a particularly talented team overall. We got to the semifinals by some small miracles, large miracles. And the, the coach of the other team in the semifinals was playing dump and chase at U11, AA, which was extremely effective because a little 10-year-old girl with three, the, he was sending three on the dump in. Like, did it work? Absolutely. Did they beat us? Sure. Because our poor little D was like, why are there three people chasing me? So it, but I think about those players and I'm like, they're being taught to give up possession, to, to check with three. Even if you want to do dump and recover hockey, like three down low is a little scary, right? And yes, it worked. It brought them success. But now like those kids don't possess the puck. Like they scored all their goals off, like scaring the crap out of a 10 year old and like shoving it in the net because it was a three on O. Like, I, I don't know. To me, that's, that's maybe not the way to develop players long-term. So it's, it just, if you're looking for the outcome, they got the outcome they wanted, but the process to me is a little broken. And I'm just looking to develop athletes who could play in any system with any kind of structure and Excel. Um, but the whiteboard to me is unnecessary, at least in the way I teach, 
because it's very like pure skill and then conceptual hockey. Like if you're trying to teach a concept of how to win a one-on-one battle, what are you going to draw on the board? Do do you win a one-on-one the same way every time? I, I sure don't. There's about a billion factors you have to read into. So if I draw it on the board and the girls are going to do it the way I draw it on the board, then they're going to think, oh, every time I go wide and I drive in because Coach Kim said, go wide as an option, right? If I just don't give them an option, they have to figure it out. Um, but at the higher levels of hockey, yeah. I mean, hey, hey, we're running a one three one, and here's where the bumper goes and blah, blah, blah. But again, is that better done? Like you said, with video, is that better done putting five of them on the ice and moving them around instead of drawing it statically on a board? Um, but yeah, my board, my board lives in my bag. And occasionally I bring it out with the teams I work with and they're like, Kim, you're drawing a drill. I'm like, I know it's crazy. It's very weird. I, I get the exact same thing with my team. Like if I use a whiteboard, they're like, what, are you feeling okay today? Like, you mm-hmm. sure you're all right. Like something's wrong. Like, no, no, I just, I haven't figured out a way to do it yet. I will, I will in future years figure this out, but I don't, I need the board just for this little bit here. I'll tell you a little tidbit though. When I was, uh, I was doing one of my hockey Canada evaluations, like as a coach. And I forget which event I was at and I, I was getting feedback and they told me I, I needed to use a bigger whiteboard. And I was like, really? Like of all the things you could give me feedback about, like, I'm not that good. Okay. I have a coach, like I'm a good coach. Right. But like, tell me like, Hey, you should really try this flow drill or like maybe your players should do this on their extra lap or whatever. But I was like a bigger board. Like I don't barely even use this board, but I, I laugh because I used to use it a lot more when I didn't have the confidence in, in what I have now, or it wasn't, I was teaching more like, what I see most coaches do when I first started was like flow drills and system drills. Those were, and that's what most, most coaches are still doing. Do a bunch of flow. And then like, here's our five player breakout. That's like, I see that as kind of old school. Well, if you're doing a bunch of flow drills where you make 42 passes in order for it to work, you have to draw it out. Right. So I used to draw a lot more and I got really good at drawing like upside down. Cause I have the little board. You know, you have to draw, but now I never use it. So now when I'm drawing upside down, I like write the letters upside down and like, I look like I'm like dyslexic trying to do it. Um, but yeah, apparently I need a bigger board. So there you go, which I would never use now. Um, but uh, I haven't, I'm not uh, high tech enough to use the video. Although I do for like skills, like I'll video a kid shooting and then be like, Hey, maybe get your hands away from your body a bit. But I, I don't do it as a here, watch this drill type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a few things I want to draw out here. I love the no whiteboard. Uh, I, I would suggest anyone who wants to become a better coach at anything, just get rid of the whiteboard. See what, you, see what happens. Like it'll, it'll expand your abilities and your mindset of how to approach things into a very positive space. Um, and the second thing you, you, you touched on that I really want to draw out uh, is about playing dump and recover. And isn't that being detrimental for ongoing development? Like, what is actually good for development? Like there are systems that are better for development. Playing possession hockey, good for wins, also really good for development. Same like concept with the dump and recover. It's like at the lowest levels where the skill may be tougher to come by or not quite developed yet, you know, pressure is how you're going to get your pucks. And most players are going to get their pucks off of just pressuring it. Sure. Very simple. But you, you know, watch even the NHL and higher levels there's a ton of pucks that are getting off the pass by positioning weak side and being patient for a puck or figuring out how do i support on a zone entry better like all of these things and yes because it's effective today does that effectively 
translate to the next level of where you want to go? And no, does it challenge your skill set enough? Well, that's, you know, and, and I know you've read Daryl's, Daryl Belfry's book. You know, he talks about skills that bridge up, right? And, and dump and recover might actually bridge the whole way through, but not in a good way. Like you can always dump and recover. And, and I'm not, you know, there's never, never and always, always, right? Like there's, there's times you might chip it to yourself. Like that's a great hockey IQ play to chip it around the D and, and go and get it, right? Um, but when I look at long-term player development, and again, I'll use our U11 coach as an example. He's an old guy and he's not old school at all. He tells the girls, possess the puck no matter what, only pass it. Like if you cannot possess it and, and they will skate with three people on them in front of our own net and the parents are like losing their mind. But then all of a sudden they figure out how to get through those three people and get down the ice and make a little outlet pass and go right now. That's his primary skill set that he works on at every single practice. Like, and, and in that way, he's old school, right? Like Brian Kilray, like he's probably got five drills, like maybe six, but all of a sudden you've got this huge crop he coaches two of our u11 teams our two top u11 teams we have 35 kids who can literally possess the puck for minutes at a time under pressure like i don't and they don't really have a lot of system like i would like to like infuse a little bit more system because they're so talented right and now teams like they usually win games by a lot and teams will just send three that's how they get the puck back they send three at the girl i'm like well we need to have a little kick out player for that little pass. I call it the backpack player, right? Like you need a player when you go down the ice with the puck, you need someone who's your backpack, right? Which means she's like six feet away behind you. At least in this structure of like possess the puck, no matter what, because you're going to lose the puck sometimes. And the little backpack might just get it and get herself a little breakaway. Right. So that would be like the next step for this crew. Um, but to me that that's possession hockey, hold on to it under pressure when, as opposed to hot potato hockey. And I see the coaches who are more, you know, dump and recover, more throw it up the wall on the breakout. And I watch these players and, and they're just not going to excel at the next level. They won't be able to move from double B to A, or they won't move from A to double A, or they won't play college hockey because you can't play at the highest level, just throwing the puck away all the time. So I, I had a player once and he was able to throw a puck beautifully off the glass every single time. But I'm like, so what was your read there? Uh, be honest with you, I just didn't look. Like, oh, yeah, oh. that's that's going to go well for you, right? For sure. And listen, sometimes it goes horribly wrong, right? Like these kids will just skate right in front of the net and someone pokes it and goes and they get a breakaway. But again, like at U11 AA, they win a lot, right, with this as their MO. And every team knows what they're doing. It's not hard to figure out, oh, she's just going to keep the puck come hell or high water. Right. Again, they had man it, they regroup, whatever. But when someone gets open ice, they take it, you know, and again, everyone collapses down on them. But, you know, it, like to me, this is this is player development, like especially in the female game where no one can open ice hit you right at any point. You know, no one's coming for like Scott Stevens to Lindros in the middle of the ice. Like that's not happening in our game. So if you can possess the puck under pressure and build the wall and drive your feet to the net and turn back, like, honestly, I don't. I actually have stopped teaching like dangling the puck. Like when I work on stick handling at my camps, like I don't, I'm like, why would I toe drag? Like if I can just build a wall where it goes puck, me, bad guy, like why would I ever need a move? I, I can, again, then that's something that is maybe a bit unique to the female game because no one can catch me with my head down and run me over. 
right? So, um, but again, it's it's I've evolved, I guess, quite a bit as I get more confident in the style of game that I think will allow these players to have options and develop to the highest level and get noticed because I coached at the highest level for such a long time. And now as the director of player development and coach development, I'm coaching all levels, all age groups, right? Like my daughter's on the U9B team. Like that's like my hardest practice of the week. A, it's my own kid and B like they can barely skate. So how are we going to do structure? Right? Like that's actually hard. I go on the ice with our junior team without the board, do this and this and this and and regroup three times and score. And they're like, got it, coach. Easy. And I, I walk off the ice. I'm like, that was like the easiest hour and a half of my life. For the U9 kids, that's work. That's real honest work. And uh, But even then, those kids can understand concepts of hockey. And we don't, we don't need to give up possession with seven and eight-year-olds. We shouldn't be. In my opinion, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I find it uh, hilarious how they always do these coaching clinics with all of these, like you know, ex-professional coaches and people who are you know, NCAA and all of this. And I'm like, it's it's great and all, but it is so unrelatable for so many because the the things that they're worried about are completely different. Like, wow, all my guys know how to skate good enough. Like, they all can rip a puck just fine. Like. Yeah. Yeah, go go try to do exactly that. You know, be practice at the youth level, and you'd be so out of water. Like, are they actually good coaches, or do they just manage people well, or yeah. do they just have great structure and you know discipline? Well, and you've really? got you've got the A plus students. Like, I always laugh. I coached junior hockey for eight years, and I'd come home and like complain to my husband, like, "Oh, they don't listen," and this. And they, uh, meanwhile, every girl, like my team had like a 94% average. These kids were all amazing hockey players. They all had part-time, like they're just amazing humans. And I'm coming home being like, they suck. My husband's like, uh, you have like the A plus humans right now that you're driving with. Like, yeah, they're probably just exhausted because they're doing 8 billion things. Right. But I'm there complaining like, man, this is hard. Well, it wasn't hard. It's certainly not hard when I look back on it. And, and when I get the opportunity to work with those teams now. That's easy, right? But the young ones are, 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 are challenging. And I agree with you. I, I, I always laugh when I go to hockey clinics. And I agree. You got some like NHL coach. I'm going to listen. I'll steal from anybody. I'll steal from the NHL guy. I'll steal from the U9 coach who knows more stuff than me because he's coached younger kids longer. Like, I have actually created quite a bit of stuff. I made up a lot of stuff because I'm not scared to like have it go wrong. But, um, and I'm happy to give it all away because it really just matters if your players can actually do it under pressure. Um, but we go to these clinics and they're like, I'm going to show you our power play breakout. And it's like a double drop, like all the NHL teams do now, right? Like someone goes up and delays and then they delay again. And we would always debrief afterwards. We'd have like little coaching groups within the bigger group. And I'd get the, 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 the female, the, the players, sorry, the coaches coaching female hockey. And we debrief in our little room. And I'm like, okay, if we did that breakout in our game, like you might as well just put the puck in your own net. Like there, we, like why? you can't I try to drop like one year and it was like way more trouble than it was worth right like just to try it see if they could do it but it was just the girls again they want to do it right where do I stand I got to be here you know and I'm coaching kids who are like team Ontario team at Canada level it's not like they can't play right but I look at the double drop and do this and this and I'm like just put the puck in your own net like it's let's line up at center and give up the power play right like this is not gonna work right but it 
but it's interesting. And, you know, I, I do remember years ago in the NHL, they started like when the guys started flipping the puck out of the zone, right? Which is genius. There's no traffic up there. How smart is this? Like, I'm like, this is a smart hockey play. You're not going to hit anyone's skate. You're not going to hit anyone's pants. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to flip on the breakout. Like that's going to be our, our go-to option. Because if you flip, right. And you know, you're flipping the other team doesn't, we're going to win that race every time. And my players looked at me like I was psycho because they couldn't flip. They had not developed the skill to flip the puck out of the zone on their forehand, the backhand. Again, these are junior players. So like 15 to 20 pretty elite females. And so in the summer when we're training, we would work on flipping and they, like there was two kids that could do it. They're like, Kim, like we cannot break out like this. I'm like, Oh, we're going to break out like this. We're going to do it. And they all thought I was nuts. And then we played our first exhibition game against a college team. And I have the video <laughs> and our, our least talented center gets puck in our zone, turns, flips it, almost hits the ceiling. We got a two one Oh from center. And we didn't even get a shot because the girls were like so shocked that it actually worked. Right. And I was like, Again, we're giving up possession. I get that, right? But we had these three like extremely talented centers and they're like, Kim, what do we do on the breakout? I'm like, wait. So the first month of the season, we got like, we got uh, breakaways like all day long because teams were like, what is this strange breakout, <laughs> right? They're standing on the half wall being like, aren't you going to pass to your winger? We're pinching, please pass it to your friend. No, flip, right? And we would just go. And then after about a month, what did our opponents do? They backed out because they knew the flip was coming. And then my three team Ontario centers were like, thank you very much. And we gave them the puck and they skated all the way down the ice. So again, you know, that was an idea that was maybe, and I wasn't the only one doing it. Don't get me wrong. But like, it was an idea that I thought, Hey, let's try it. And all of a sudden I had this whole team who could flip the puck in the air and the forwards are scoring goals in tight because they can now roof it over the goalie instead of slamming it back in her pads. But I had this one D who was so good at flipping it on her backhand. Like I, I actually don't think she made, I had to be like, no, you can make regular people passes too. Like you don't have to flip, but then it became like a cool trick they could do. And we would like college coaches like, wow, that's, that kid can flip it on her backhand with two on her. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Right. And so, Again, it, it, it fit conceptually into what I wanted to do system-wise in order to, you know, really highlight these three centers who are incredibly talented and release all the pressure for them by driving these players back. But the looks on the faces I got from the players and the parents were like, we're doing what on the breakout? And we'd hit the ceiling. You know, you play at a rink with like a low ceiling, you blow the whistle, like, meh, that's fine. Um, but it takes yeah, a lot. Yeah, it takes a long these... time to be able to be confident enough for the coach to go, I'm going to do something really weird and see if it works. I think most of our egos, you know, are like, mm, I kind of want to win. So let's keep it, you know, kind of normal-ish. But I just don't yeah. care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you and I are both in the boat of like, you know what? We're just going to do what we think is right. Uh, even if the kids look at us sideways. Like, for example, like you, you switch a player who's played their entire lives at left wing. And I'm a left winger. And you're like, no, no, you're, you're actually playing right def defense. Like that's your true best position. Like, I don't know who told you to play left wing, but your skill set just screams right defense. So we're going to give that a try. Oh and my they can scream and fight the whole way. And then they get in there, you know, because you know, one bad thing, even though they could have the rest of the game perfect and they're kicking and screaming, 
But then like five, six games later, you know, they adjust and they're like, I don't know why I never played any other position. Like this is the best thing for me. Well, I'd, I feel like know, the exact same thing just happened there. You know what drives me nuts? Okay. And like, I'm like, Ovi is like my favorite player. Okay. So like playing your off wing, why do coaches want their players playing their normal wing? I don't get, like offensively, it makes no sense. Why do you want the puck on the wall in the offensive zone? I get on the breakout maybe, right? But like in the offensive zone, why? Why do you want people on their proper wing so you can be wider and further away from the net? Like it just makes so much sense to play your offside. Like so much, especially you open up. Like I, I just don't. And like sometimes these parents will look at me like I'm like, do you want Sally to play the right wing when she's a left-handed shot? I'm like, Sally is going to score many more goals on her off wing because her stick will be closer to the net when she puts it on her forehand. And that's good. Right. But again, like it's so like, that's not outside the box, like in a big way, but it's, it's so goes against convention. And I always remind people like, you remember there was a point in the NHL where like defensemen took the face off. Like that was normal in the NHL, like many, many years ago, the D's took the draw. Okay. Like let's try to get out of our little lanes here. And just think about it, you know, or, oh, well, like you can't have a lefty playing right D. Why her stick's going to be in the middle of the ice. Like that's, that's where the net is. It's in the middle. You want your stick in the middle. That's good. Right. But again, this is a, you know, it's like the dad who played junior C who's like telling me that I should change the way I'm coaching. I'm like, "Mm." I don't come to your office and like tell you how to work. So, you know, leave it alone. But uh, yeah, yeah. You'll appreciate this story too. So I was doing, um, two on twos the other day and I, I was just continuous. So it's like offense, defense out. And I told them at one point, I'm like, okay, whoever gets the puck off that pass to create, like start you, your drill as offense. Like you, you are the only one of the pair that is allowed to have the puck. Like you cannot pass to your teammate and right. they just lost their minds. And I'm just like, okay, let's see what happens here. Like you got guys going back door, like they're going to get passes. And I'm like, he's not passing to you. I don't know what you're doing over there. Maybe you should try to like, you know, work together. Set a <laughs> Set pick. some picks, you yeah. know, control the defender's stick or the guy on the puck, just like skating to open space. I'm like, I don't think you're understanding the, the, the concept here. Maybe you should run your guy into your teammate. Just the thought. Yeah. Show them some basketball. Yeah. Here, watch, watch them pick and roll. Right. And there's so much that goes from different sports. And I know, you know, this, right. Like your, your best, vision players on D or or your soccer players usually, right? Because they're thinking of play like in soccer, it's it's rare you're going like right on the foot. Like, you know, it's going Yeah, it's it's a tape to space, you know, area pass type deal. Yeah. Yeah, So that that's where the transference, you know, my my best puck protectors are basketball players. Because like you're not dribbling the ball in front being like, here, please take it from me. You know, so there's so much and, and I think that's something that in the female game we don't see a lot of quite yet is like the single sport athletes. Many of them, many of our best female hockey players are still playing multiple sports. Uh, maybe because like we're not making Connor McDavid money anytime soon. Like if we get to the Olympic team, like cool. Like we still are going to have to have a normal person job at the end of the day. Um, so I think there's a balance. And then a lot of the athleticism that our players have from other sports has great level of transfer. But I, I love that two on two drill. I did that one last night and I, I laugh because the girls are like too nice. They're like, but I didn't pass to her on that rep. I'm like, you scored. She'll hug you even though you didn't pass. Like you don't, 
like, again, this is like a different mindset. They get over the blue line. And again, I don't coach guys hockey, but I've watched a lot of guys hockey. Like anyone who gets the puck over the blue line in guys hockey is like, I am scoring a goal. It is my puck. In girls hockey, they're like, who should I pass to? Like they couldn't possibly just take it all the way to the net and like get a scoring chance. Right. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the kind of conditions or constraints we put on things, you know, one of the drills I love and I, and I didn't come up with it, but I've been scrimmaging at the end of practice a lot because it's like holiday time and, you know, I get a good 40 minutes out of them or maybe an hour. And then like the last 20 minutes, it's a bit of a yard sale. And so we do full ice scrimmaging three on three, but the constraint is you have to pass it in every zone before you get to the next zone. So if you create a turnover in the neutral zone, you have to pass it in the neutral zone before you get to the offensive zone. And then you have to pass it in the offensive zone before you try to score. And all of a sudden you have puck support everywhere. Like, and they never play like that normally. Right. But all of a sudden they're, they're turning back. They're regrouping because they know they have to make a pass in that zone. They're like, if I get it at the offensive blue line, what do I do? I'm like, well, you need to make a pass in that zone. So you got to come back. And, and, and that's the only constraint you give them. And all of a sudden they look like completely different hockey players. They've got 10 foot away support. They've got the backpack I talked about, right? The little kick out play. Like they're all close to each other. They're all like crossing and dropping. I'm like, who are these people? Like, is anyone watch them in a standard game? And it's like very North South. They've been systemed to like play a certain way. Um, and I forget who I stole that from or else I'd give them complete, complete credit for that, that constraint. But it, like to me, that's hockey IQ. Like that's all you tell them. And now you tell them to figure it out. Right. And that's where we need to go into a little bit more of the unscripted drills. Right. The more like figure it out. Here's an idea. You tell me where you're going to go. You show me what you're going to do. Um, and that's still a challenge in the female game because, again, of that underlying want to do it the right way. Um, you know, hockey's a game of mistakes. We're wearing knife blades on our feet. I don't like, is there a right way? I don't know. But um, you know, well, whatever I think- works is good too. Yeah. And I think with coaches, like there needs to be a permission to fail for your players. Like if there's not, I would say you're either creating pressure or permission, which one's right in the given situation. And more often than not, giving permission is the the way to go for all the reasons that you've been outlining this entire conversation. Like you need to have some flexibility to make up your own mind and read the game in real time. Like you said, it's a game of mistakes. Like you're going to make the mistake. Like, don't worry about it. Learn from it. Well, I, I think that if you're not learning. Well, and that's where like coaches got to put their ego aside, right? You know, and I and I say this to players all the time, like you can't win and die off every loss, right? And I used to do that as a coach. When we won, I was a great coach. I was like, look at me. I'm awesome. And we lost. I was like, oh my God, I'm horrible. Like, oh God, we suck. Right. And meanwhile, I'm like, but I but I'm imparting on my players, like, hey, make mistakes or whatever. But then the ego side of me was like, I can't lose. That'd be bad why is that bad? Right. Like again, and that, that's just changing the mindset of the players. And I agree with you, you know, a player will play amazing and she'll make one, you know, she'll throw a pizza up the middle that they score on and she, that's all she can think about. Meanwhile, she's like scored a hat trick, but she got through the pizza and like, Oh my God, I played so badly. Well, no, you didn't. Right. But that again, it is that permission to fail and then to understand that um, it can't be purely outcome based. You cannot, you know, your value as a human is not driven by whether you scored a goal or not, right? Or whether your team won or not. And that's that's always the challenge with your goal scorers, right? And in girls hockey, if you're a goal scorer, 
like write your ticket. Like, woo, that is, if you can score a goal a game in girls hockey, you are elite. It, it just is, it's not a heavy scoring uh, typically um, in our game. And so when those players don't score every game, that it's like devastation, right? Like instant, because they know like there's such a premium on them because they become the guy, they become the like go-to player. And if they don't score, like they cannot handle it. Right. But then they were equating their success individually with their worth individually. Right. And I find that coaches do that as well. Right. You're not a good or bad coach based on your win or loss record. Right. I always say like my, my value as a coach was always, I think seen by when my players moved up a level, did they excel? Right. So if I was coaching U18 and they moved up to junior, were they impact players? When my junior players moved out of my program to university, were they impactful in their university program? Right. And so I had, you know, I tell a little snippet. I had one year, we were like top four in the league. I had a bunch of team Ontario, team Canada level players. And I had four returning players from that team the following year. So we went from top four best goalie in the league, best goal scorer in the league. Next year, we went to 20th out of 20 for a whole host of reasons. It was quite the drop, but I had four players who were on both of those teams. They went from being like the team everyone was scared of to being the worst on paper, like result-wise team on the league. And to me, one of my greatest successes as a coach is those four players, when they went to college hockey, they all made the all-rookie team in their conference Right. So they went from being on a great team to being on a really not great team. And then they went to college hockey and they all made the all rookie all-star team. Like to me, that is, we did something right. Yeah. Like they would have rather won more games in their final year of high school hockey, like for sure. Right. But to me, that's how I know I was doing a good job with them. That even though we were like lining up the L's and we would find like the greatest ways to lose hockey games, like we'd be up five, one and lose six, five. Like it was, I've never seen anything like it. Like it was just crazy. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't good. And, but they excelled at the next level. And I think if we can change the way we, we, um, you know, we define success as coaches and we're not just, well, I have to win in order to be a good coach, then that's going to translate to our players and they don't have to be right or make the right play all the time in order to be good hockey players. Um, And so I think it's a mind shift on both sides. The coaches can't say, oh, be creative and make mistakes and then yell at the players because they didn't win. Those things don't work. That's not, yeah. that can't, those aren't congruent, right? So yeah. uh, I think it starts with us first and then, and then trickles down to the players. Well, I, I love what you were talking about. And the first line was just so quotable. Like you can't be outcome driven. Like the, the whole concept behind this is really like, how do you drive value? How to drive that confidence? And being outcome driven is, so random like it could be great one day terrible another day based on a host of circumstances and like if that's what you're building your house of cards mentally on like it's gonna collapse somewhere all the time and it's it's a problem and like detaching outcomes from process is so difficult especially for players that have been there or parents like oh they're goal scorers johnny's gonna score a million goals or jenny's gonna score a million goals like it doesn't always work that way. Like Crosby had, you know, what, probably like 213 goals in a season as a AU. Well, right. you know, he's scoring may- maybe 40 <laughs> in the NHL. Like eventually 
you know, Crosby's one person, but most kids, it's going to be a lot sooner than that. If you're driving your confidence and like your willingness and fun factor based off of how many goals you scored, probably going to be an issue. If you do it because, you know, I love to make things happen for my teammates, probably going to have a lot more success and a lot more fun for a longer amount of time and just detaching result from process. Like I had a good process, like the goals eventually come. Like well, those and, are my favorite players. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, I've coached teams forever. Right. And so there's like the on ice piece and then there's the team development piece. And often coaches will ask me like, what do you do for goal setting? I find that that's hard. Right. Cause if we did like the traditional goal setting session at the beginning of the season, everyone would be like, okay, kids, what do we want to do this year? We want to win the whole thing. Great. We want to win a tournament. Yay. Like we like, it's all like, things you have no control over, right? Like there's 50 teams in the province and only one's going to win. So good luck, right? Um, so to me, it's more about goal getting and being, you know, if you are a kid who's, who expects to and probably can score a goal every game, you know, what you, these players don't even realize how many shots they take in a game, like as an individual, right? Like they're, I'm like, okay, Sally, how many shots do you think you take a game? She's like, I don't know, like eight. I'm like, no. No, you never take, I've never, there are not players who take eight shots in the game. Like the best players in the NHL are taking four, maybe five. Like we're talking Ovi on the back door. Like that, that's how many he's taking. Forget the defensemen. Like they might get one or two that actually hit the net. Right. So if you can get them to think about like, you're only going to get four shots in a game. You know, how do we make those higher quality shots? How do we increase the chances? What can you do? Because you don't have control over how the goalie plays on the other team, right? So what's the process that gets you that goal? And, you know, I'm a big, I, I have this system we use. It's called the checkmark system, or actually we call it the ice cream cake system. I'll explain. But we set three goals for every game and usually in over three game chunks. And so it will be like uh, numbers driven, like win the second shot battle. So we get more second shots on net than the other team does. It's a pretty good one if you do a good job on that. I think you're probably doing, you know, doing pretty well in the game. Uh, you know, we're going to win the giveaway takeaway battle. That's a little harder. You need a, a smart parent in the stands to track that, right? Or, you know, we want to get, you know, five shots within five seconds of a faceoff. Those are just examples. You track them over three games, you get a check mark if you did it, right? And usually if you get all the check marks, you, you probably did pretty well in the game. If you get no check marks, like I've never had it where the team got no check marks and won. It's never happened. Right. I don't know why it could happen. Of course, you could get all the check marks and lose. Right. But now we're looking at three games and we go, okay, like, how's our face off win percentage? Pretty bad today. Well, we're probably not going to get five shots in five seconds if we can't win the draw. Right. And now you're focusing them in, in things they have control over versus we got to win today, guys. Let's go. And then, like, so if there's nine potential check marks, you know, we kind of, give them a reward based on how many check marks they get. Right. So if you get between zero and four, you get nothing because you didn't do the stuff you were supposed to do. Right. And then it's always food. The kids are always like, we want food. Okay. So like I'm buying them the donuts. I'm like, this seems not like I talk about nutrition and then I go and buy them donuts, but it's fine. But if you get eight or nine check marks, you get an ice cream cake. Like I started this tradition and I'm like, man, ice cream cakes are expensive. I should not have, like made that the outcome goal of winning these check marks because like an ice cream cake is not like I should have stuck with donuts or like, you know, uh, something's cheaper, but uh, you know, to me that, that uh, on a team level, it's such a easy way to, to 
keep it process driven. And again, you'll have like a couple girls on the bench who like every time they get a block shot, they're like, Kim, did you write down that we got the block shot? Cause we want the ice cream cake. Like they're so, they get like overly focused, but I think that's great. Right. And individual players can do the same thing. Right. If you could set three goals for yourself for every game, you know, and write it down and then put a little check mark beside it after the game. And if you didn't get the check mark, be like, man, why didn't I get that check mark? Like to me, that's goal setting and goal getting. It's not win the championship at the end of the year. Like that, again, I'm rambling on, but to me, it, that's players understanding the process versus the outcome and taking some ownership of it as opposed to showing up at the game and just letting the game happen and riding the roller coaster of emotion that, that results from having no control over the process, right? Your team could win, your team could lose. If you get your three check marks, and this is important for girls, if they get their three check marks that they wrote down in the car before the game, they're going to feel good. And confidence is everything in female sport, like everything. If I teach them nothing else, if I can make them more confident, they're going to be better players for sure. Right. If I could package confidence and give it out as gifts, I'd be a gazillionaire. Right. How are they going to build confidence by saying, Hey, I was going to get four shots today and I got five. Good job, Sally. I feel good about myself. I did the thing, right? It can't be driven by we won the game. So now I feel good about myself, right? So again, I've, I've gone off on a tangent per usual, but I think with, um, with hockey players, like we get so focused on like, can you backhand toe drag bar down? Like maybe we just made that kid feel good. They probably play a little better, score a couple more goals or make a couple more saves, right? How do we, how do we get a, the same result and not make it so, um, you know, uh, outcome focused. Yeah. Well, there's the other component of this, which is like the disconnect, like winning a championship does not drive the behavior that leads to a championship. Like there needs to be a shortening of, uh, whatever the smart goal, like talk about, like it needs to be timely. We need that T. Oh, totally. Um, And, and I laugh because like something happened like five years ago here in Toronto. I don't know if it, all of a sudden, like when people, you're like recruiting a player, talk to them about like next year. They're like, well, I want to go where there's more development. And, but that to them, that means winning. Like I don't, they start to use the, Oh, like I want to go play with these great players. Cause it's going to be great, better for my development. I'm like, you mean you're going to win more hockey games? They're like, yeah, that's not, that's, those are not the same. It's not the same thing. Right. But they like throw the word around like, Oh, it's, it's good for my development to be around all the best players all the time. And because I practice, I'm going to get better passes. And I think to myself, again, it goes back to confidence. I don't have, I don't see a problem of being the lead dog on a lesser team. In fact, I think that's incredibly valuable and stressful, actually. And I think that might be good for female players, right? If you're on a not so winning team, but there's three of you that are like the go-to players, and your team's success does actually ride a little bit on your ability to produce, and you can get that done, how great is that for you and your team, right? If you go to a team of superstars where you're winning 10 nothing, you never have to be the one. There's no pressure for you to perform, right? So, like, there's a lot of these super teams that people like, oh, I'm going to – because in girls hockey in Ontario, I don't know how it is where you are, but, like, we don't have borders. You could go play anywhere every season there's no rules about where you have to play and so you'll see like whole teams move from like city to city to city every year for better 
development. And they're all spring hockey teams that just move around of like superstars because they didn't like it here because they didn't win the championship. They didn't like it here. <laughs> they just move around. And I think to myself, like, none of you are actually getting better. Like you're, you're just winning, but like you're, there's no challenge. There's no like, okay, guys, we really got to rally today and get it done. And here's our smart goals. Here's our three check marks. Like they're just running around, like getting dubs everywhere. And again, is winning's fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, like, I like to win. I'm as competitive as they come, but they go, well, that's great for my development. You're not developing that those teams don't actually get better. And the super teams usually lose. It's so rare that those teams have been amalgamated girls from all over the place actually win the championship. And when you think about it, that was the only reason they came together. But for that one possibility, they win the championship. It's crazy. That's why they move every year because they didn't win the championship. So obviously it was the geographical location that prevented them from doing so. But I, I find it amazing how many people think they understand development, but have like never actually studied it at all like what development really looks like so then you get a bunch of cones on the ice that we all have to go around and like this is skill development look you got a toe drag around this cone you got a backhand toe drag around this cone and then you're like oh man they look great practice it looks kind of smooth and great but then they get to a game and there's no like timing application like you, like you don't even know what development is like it's not the cones and being able to toe drag it's being able to know when to toe drag or maybe I don't even need to toe drag at all. I just need to build a wall and keep my feet moving. So yeah. like that, that's what it really amazes me is all of these folks like talking about development. Well, we don't know. <coughs> it's, it's not a nice, easy practice where it's all whiteboarded out and they move exactly from here to here. And it looks super clean and amazing. Like, no, like real development is very messy. I don't know if you tried it in your own development, but it's not very linear in its progression. It's very messy. And, you know, messy is good. It's yeah, actually the, a very good. You need thing. the struggle. You need the struggle. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share you. So my daughter's playing U nine B and she's six and, and it surprises no one that I'm a crazy hockey parent who has my daughter playing rep hockey as a double minor. Cause it's, everyone's like, yeah, of course, Kim, of course she's doing that. So I'm in that whole like crazy mindset. Um, it basically works better for my schedule. So that's why we did it. But anyways, we play four on four half ice, which I think is a gift. And I actually don't understand why U9 ever goes full ice. Like I would like someone to explain to me why in January, end of January, we all of a sudden go full ice. Like I'm frightened of the prospect of having to teach my six-year-old daughter what offside is. Like I d it's just not going to go well. Right. But anyway, so we try, I'm like, okay, we need some structure, not really like true structure because we play other teams and they like the, you know, the, you share the bench, which is so weird. I've never been on the bench with the other team's coach before. I've coached for 15 years. I'm like, what are you doing here? But because the team is half split, right? Oh, I guess we're sharing. It's fine. And they're like, okay, Sally, this shift, you're going to be lefty. And okay, Billy, this shift, you're going to be right forward. I'm like, do they have to stay on their side of the ice? Like what? It, right. But you can see these, and I, and I don't fault the coaches. They're just trying to get to the point where we have to teach these kids offsides and like positions and three months and it's going to be a yard sale. Right. So on our team, we have like, I'm like, I need to make, I made it up. I'm like, I, I just got to have something. So our team rule is if the other team has the puck, we always hunt with two. I don't care where it is. Two of you are going to hunt. And like you're teaching six and seven and eight year olds. Like you're basically teaching them stick lifts and 
body positioning, like just whatever you need to do, go get that puck. No one calls penalties in U9. It's great. Like it's just like these massive hits. It's amazing. Like, yeah, I do it. Like so much tripping. Love it. So we hunt. And I'm like, okay, if we don't have the puck, someone on our team needs to go home. What does that mean? Go skate towards our net and look. Is there anybody there? Don't stay there. If there's someone there, go make a friend, right? That's your defenseman. But we don't call them the defenseman. They're just the home person, right? And then I'm like, what the hell do I do with the fourth player? Like, we don't actually need this fourth, like this fourth player. So like, I call them the half. And they're like, what is that? I'm like, go halfway between where the puck is and the home. It's basically your center, right? Like, just be half. That's when we don't have the puck. Two hunters, a half, and a home. When we have the puck, tell the player, you must skate. Keep the puck and skate. Do not throw it away. Right? I'm trying already at new nine. And again, these kids cannot stick handle very well. Just skate. Get away from the people and skate. And then that skater has a backpack because we know that skater is probably not going through everybody. And it's amazing how much this backpack player, this player who's six feet behind, ends up with the puck and scores a goal. Like it's actually shocking because the other team hunts too. I don't know what they call it. They probably four check or something, but they hunt our puck carrier and the puck carrier loses it. And everyone falls over. And then my backpack just has it. She's like, Oh, I'll just put it at the net. Right. So we've got the, the skater and the backpack. And then we have a fly, which is like a little bit of a cherry picker. And I recognize it's not going to work like long-term, but they're basically like, they just go, we get the puck and I'm like, someone's got to fly. Go to the other net. And like, you know, people are like, oh, you have a cherry picker. I'm like, listen, these kids are seven and eight. When we get the puck in a game and they just go, they're not getting to the other net by the time there's a turnover on full ice. When we get to full ice, there's no way they're going to make it past the far blue line. So don't worry about it. They're just getting open. They're just skating. And again, I don't know what to do with the fourth player. So she's half again, too. That's our team structure. Like, but the interesting part is, You'll get girls coming to the bench and they're like, I don't know, when am I supposed to be home? And when do I go from home to half? And I was hunting and then we got it. And I'm like, okay, if we got it, now you're a skater. And a back, like, to me, that's hockey IQ, right? Like these, that will bridge forever for these kids, right? If they can understand, like, again, not that every four check is going to be a two one two, right? But if they understand how to hunt and lift sticks and they understand the concept of that, we don't have it. Somebody's got to go get it. You got to be aggressive, right? So it's a, it's a it's kind of fun for me because it's like an experiment. I'm just like, you know, forcing this upon these small humans, and I don't know if it'll work once we get to five on five. Um, but what it like? Someone asked the players, like, "Oh, what position do you play?" They're like, "We don't have positions," and they will like explain to their parents, so like, "I when we have it, we they, like exactly what I just explained to you." All of these kids can explain that to their parents, and to me. Like we're creating, like, this is thinking. You have to understand transition, right? This is a, another buzzword that all of a sudden everyone talks. Transition, transition. How do you go from being the hunter to the backpack? How do you go from the home to the fly? Like that's transition, right? It's not about standing in the right place and, you know, being on your wing or whatever. So I'll keep you posted on how it works, but it, it actually looks good. Like we actually look like we have a system. Like when we play, but it it doesn't really have as much structure as as maybe it looks like on the ice. Um, but hopefully, you know, as they get to more structured things down the line, 
the hockey IQ skill set they've built will translate versus just the pure skill going around the cones. And just to be honest, Greg, you need some cones sometimes for U9 or else like it's it's real bad. (laughs) Can't just be like, go tight turn in the zone. They're like, what does that mean? What's the zone? Come on. Um, Anyway, so it has to be a a little bit more um, spelled out sometimes. Yeah, and it comes back to our whole, like, what what is relatable? Sometimes you need this for that coach. You need this for another coach. Like, you know, we probably don't need cones to the NHL, maybe a little bit more at the younger ages. Uh, I still think that U12 and under, th- those are the real hard jobs. The rest is relatively easy because now you can actually talk to the kids a little bit rather than um, most of the time it's just mimicking. So I love how you found a way to get them at least thinking in their own capacity. Obviously, their brains aren't developed nearly as far as others, but they're getting there and they're starting to pick these things up. So when they do progress, they do age, they'll have all these skill sets and the general concepts that can translate to anywhere. Well, it's interesting because this this system, right, with the home player on the, like we now know who are going to be defensemen because there's some kids who are like, I'm the home. I like being the home. I want to be the home. Like they'll go home and there'll be another kid there and they'll like kick out the other kid. Be like, no, 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 I'm the home. And I'm like, well, clearly that kid wants to play D. Like we don't need to decide. There's like five kids on the team who are like, I'm the home guy. Like get out of here. I'm going to do that. Right. So like they've kind of self-selected a little bit into that role, but it's funny because our coach, I have a co-coach, like I'm just like the skills coach mom. Right. I'm not actually the head coach of this team. And he's like, we need to teach the kids how to skate backwards. I'm like, why? It's like, well, because, well, we have a visitor, my four-year-old's here. Um, I said, why do we have to teach them to skate backwards? He's like, well, so when they play defense, I'm like, I don't want them to skate backwards. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, why would we ever skate backwards? Like at the skill set our opponents have, right? Eight and seven-year-old girls and my crazy six-year-old. Like, why would you defend skating backwards? You, you're going to get the puck by pressuring and hunting, right? That home player should just angle and skate forward and take the girl out. Like, why would you back in? But again, this goes against the normal mindset of like, well, D's like have to skate backwards because that's how you defend a one-on-one. I'm like, what a crappy way to defend a one-on-one, actually. Like, if you could just skate forward and angle her into the corner, like, you're probably going to get the puck. Right. You just back in like we already have a goalie. We don't need another goalie. Why are you backing in? Right. Meanwhile, like not to say I'm not going to teach them to skate backwards, but I'm not teaching them to skate backwards with the purpose of this is what you need in order to defend a one on one situation. Right. It's like when I teach forwards, backwards skating, they're like, I don't do this. I'm like, oh, you don't get open in the offensive zone ever while you're facing the puck. You just stand in front of like you need to skate backwards to open up space and clear the zone and get lost. But they've never thought about it. They go, I don't skate backwards because I'm a forward. You, you, I might not want you to defend a one-on-one skating backwards, like as your butt wiggles down the ice, but you do need to understand that skill, but also how it translates and, and applies in different parts of the game. Right. So it, it you know, it's, it's been really interesting to see, but what it's done is most of these players, again, cannot could not handle a puck without pressure before they made this team and now you've got like the bottom five kids on the team will will skate the puck all the way down the ice and like get around people because we've told them if you get the puck you're a skater you're not a passer you're a skater and it's the top end kids have 
excelled at this system the whole way through as they typically do. But it's really the development of the bottom third. If you could get those kids all like 20% better, 50% better by the end of the season, your team as a whole is going to be way better because the best kids are going to get better no matter what, because they're doing the extra, right? Like that's the low hanging fruit. Um, but there really is, if you can get that bottom half, you know, understanding hockey and, and being more skilled, like that's, what's going to make your team successful. Um, you know, if you, if you define success as like winning more games, you can't do that with a one line team. You need to have depth. Right. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. I'll probably change my mind next year. My assistant coaches always laugh. Like I draw up the, like I give them the practice plan. And then I'm like, I actually changed my mind. We're going to do something completely different. They're like, why, why do you type a practice plan? Kid? I don't understand. So I got to make the assistant coaches think too. Can't be all scripted for them either. I'll be like, actually, could you put the pucks at center and not in the corner? Cause we're going to do this drill. And they're like, whatever kid. Keep going. Yeah, or Hey, don't give them a direct pass Rim the yeah. puck in or put it a bank, you know, they all have to start with their, their back to the play and get their eyes around. Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't just start with the puck. Yeah. Like what? I don't just start with the puck and doesn't magically just fall on my stick in a game. No, you actually have to like go get it. Um, but yeah, those are little tweaks, right? Like even that idea of hunting for a puck and doing a stick lift to start a drill. It's so easy to like change your drills so that they can start like that. Right. But we start so many drills where you draw the pucks in the corner and the, the little X has the puck already. Well, X doesn't just start with the puck there ever. There's somebody coming after them or they're at least skating back to go get it, right? A retrieval there, right? A shoulder check there, scanning. Yeah, like that, that needs to happen at some point. But again, that's, that's new school. And, but that's not, you could use the same drill and just enter it a different way or finish it a different way. Right. And, and that gives you, you know, a lot of leeway as a coach to make it feel like a different drill to the players, even though it's the identical drill. Right. Um, but those are the little skill sets that I think in the coach development I do, which is a big part of my job now um, with the association I'm at, just giving those coaches little tidbits, right? Like I'll give you a perfect example. You know, so many teams work on entries, two on O's, three on O's, two on ones, three on twos with no back pressure. Have you ever seen a two-on-one with no back pressure? Like did it, the rest of the team die? Like they're coming, right? Like uh, they're eventually coming. They might be way behind, but they're coming. There's back pressure, right? And so you watch it in practice and they go, oh, we're doing three on O's and there's like six passes. I'm like, someone's gonna have run you over from behind by the time you make that third pass, right? So even if you just had your assistant coaches applying back pressure, right? On all the drills, like doesn't matter if they can skate, doesn't matter if they're good, just have their body there getting in the way, right? Because we have to create some level of urgency, right? But, you know, we defend the three-on-one from the front, right? With that defender skating backwards, but what about from behind, right? And that's an easy way to force your players to think, to increase their IQ, right? To increase the intensity of the drill without changing the drill really at all. Um, that's again, you try to take the things that are most important, like the number of puck retrievals I do now versus three years ago when I coached. I don't think I ever worked on puck retrievals. Like in the, we had it like where you dumped it in and the D went and got it. And then she made the first breakout pass. But now like so many of my drills start off retrievals. I've learned a lot over the last, you know, five, six years in terms of skill development. But it's funny to think when I look at my old practice plans, like I could still run those old practice plans. I would just enter and exit 
and pressure the drill so differently now than I did back then. But didn't mean that drill was bad. Don't have to throw it out. You just have to, you know, challenge the players in different ways with the constraints that you put on it. Um, and that would be my challenge for coaches is to try to figure out how to do that without having to change. Like, I don't know what you're like, Greg, but I used to be like, like I have thousands of drills and I still make up new ones all the time. But like, if you're going on Instagram and just be like, Ooh, that's a cool drill. And you're constantly doing that and like change, like your players aren't actually learning. Like there's something to be said about doing the same practice plan three times in a row. The first time they have no idea what they're doing. Second time they like kind of get it. And the third time they can actually do it with some confidence and actually do it with speed and actually do it with some creativity. But if we're constantly like Instagram drilling them, like, okay, now do this drill. Like when are they actually improving? I, I, I think back to when I played college hockey at Dartmouth, I could still tell you all the drills we did on Tuesday for four years. We did the same drills every Tuesday. I know I still know Tuesday practice. I graduated in 2002. Like Tuesday practice is ingrained in my mind. Like we won a lot of championships having the exact same practice every single Tuesday. And probably most of the other like practices were not vastly different, but the drills didn't look exactly the same every single day. Right. There was different pressure. There's different entries. There's different exits, those types of things. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to go and recreate the wheel. I think we just need to do a better job with the drills we have and ask more of our players and ask questions and challenge them to do things differently um, as opposed to like jump over the thing and turn around the thing and make it fancier. Yeah. And, and what I've, gone similar over like the last five six years of like learning things and changing things like i try to remove myself from the drill altogether like how many drills can i do without me and what are the benefits like how many times you get a coach is passing from the corner but what if on like a rush drill we just want to collect the puck you have to go back and get it well now you're not going to be you know going way up ice looking back for a pass that's never going to come in a real game now you've got to work together and regroup and change your routes things like that or just like how do you shift in and out of a play like similar with your off the puck rules like all of that good stuff so i think there's a lot that we can do as coaches to get a ton better that's real simple and just challenging just the little edges of our abilities and not you know just blowing it out of the water like you feel like the fish out of water but more so like, oh, yeah, I can take this next little step. I can try this next little piece that can really help. I, I love your idea of like the constraints. I'll just add a little constraint, just something that's a little bit different, something that challenges the players. Like you got to make a pass in every zone before you can progress. Or, well, And I think the challenge is, you know, like I, I'm a full-time hockey person, right? Like, and I love it and I'm obsessed. And I will look at the Instagram drills. Like I'm, I'm in. You know, I love it. But when I look at the majority of the coaches that I work with, there are some paid, you know, non-parent full-time hockey people. But for the most part, they're parents and they have a full-time job. They've got multiple kids and they are not sitting there like I am nerding it out on coach them writing a billion drills out. Like they're not, they just don't have the capacity to do that, nor do they want to. Right. So if I can provide them like as the director of coach development, here's, you know, practices that will work on angling. Here's four drills. Here's some variations of these four drills. You don't need more than that for an entire season, right? To work on forechecking and work on neutral zone and all of that. Like that's it, right? Like how simple, you know, I'm now this year started doing house league and development stream practices. 
And it's really great to think about. You're like, okay, I don't know if these kids can skate. Maybe half of them can, maybe half of them can't. I'm not actually coaching them. I'm taking this, trying to create a practice plan that this coach who's never coached before, or maybe, you know, played hockey, but you know, played hockey back when it was old school North South hockey. How am I going to get them this practice plan that's going to allow them to develop these players of a vastly different skill level? And and quite frankly, in house league, like some of them don't are just there because like mom and dad signed them up, right? They're not triple A players or like, yeah, I love hockey. Let's go. Like I love 7 a.m. practice, right? Um, how do you get those coaches more empowered? Because those are really the ones that are driving all of minor hockey development. It's not those of us at double A and triple A. Like we're, we're getting the fruits of their labor, right? Um, but if we could make the base way better, and again, constraints are really easy. Even if you've not coached, like add back pressure, start off a retrieval, add a second puck. So after they attack on the two-on-one, put a second puck in the corner. So they have to attack again, two-on-one in the zone, right? I think if you've not coached before, that's pretty easy to do to take one drill or take a, a, you know, a package of 10 drills and show them how to change the drill with those constraints. Um, you know, that, that to me is, that's coach development as well. They need to understand how to change the drill. Like I, I, I have one team I've worked with for four or five years. They're a double B team, pretty good, like high level, like they do well in their division. And uh, like, I try to run all the drills without my whistle. So they just like look at each other. I'm like, how are you going to know when to go? And they're like, how, when do I go? I'm like, I don't know. I guess you're going to have to figure that out. You know, so they have to look at the other side and be like, you good? I'm good. Are we good? Okay, we're going to go. Like now you have to have your head up. Now you're communicating. Now, right? Versus if I just blow the whistle every single time, right? So if we said, okay, we're going to do two on twos. And as soon as the other team gets a second shot on net, the next group's going to go. So now they're watching going, okay, when's, when's the second shot? Did they get a second shot on that? Oh, they got one. Okay, let's go. It's our turn. Right? Like that's awareness. That's hockey IQ. That's all of those things. Um, so yeah, like you said, like, can I work my way out of, can I get, remove my job from, from this drill or from this practice plan um, and get them to think a little bit more? Uh, I think it's awesome. And it's a fun way to do it. And um, you got to create players that can think. And again, with the girls, because they want to do it right, right? You have to say, well, there isn't a right. Like they always come to the bench and they're like, what do I do the next time that's going to happen? And I'm like, that's never happening again. That scenario will never happen again in your hockey career, unless you play like for a really long time at a really high level, like where Pat, you know, at higher levels, the patterns of hockey become a little bit more apparent. But if you're U13B, it's just chaos. I can pretty much guarantee you that exact play never happening again. Right. But how can we learn from it? But again, that's, I'm not sure what it's like in the male game, but in the female game, it it is empowering them to, to be creative, to think more freely, to make mistakes because they're so driven to do it the right way. Uh, I think that's hopefully unlocking um, some hockey IQ and, and some more creative creativity in hockey for the female side, because I don't like watching scripted hockey, um, you know, in our game when possession because of the lack of full body checking is so critical. And I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see it. You see it at the higher levels. You see it with team USA, team Canada, 
is a very different style of hockey than it was uh, 10 years ago. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Team USA really like led the charge there. Uh, but even the Czech team, you know, is very possession driven. Um, but we just have so much leeway to do, be, to be creative because of that lack of full body checking that we really can think outside the box. We don't have to follow the rules and do it a certain way. And, you know, maybe I'll never coach a national team. I don't know if I ever want to, but our little U9 team sure is uh, playing some interesting hockey and, it, and it's cool to see um, how things develop. But uh, I encourage all the high level coaches, you know, I bring them out to coach the younger kids and I'm like, Oh my God, this is hard. I'm like, yeah, this is real work. And that's where now as I'm a parent and I'm bringing my own kid up, I have a whole other level of respect. I was such a jerk being like, oh, I coached the highest level team. What do these parent coaches know? And I'm like, Oh my God, parent coaches, tell me more. I have no, like, I have no capacity. Like at the beginning, I was like, I don't know how to coach these kids. They can't do a flow drill. They can't do, how are they going to run a power play? Like I just, I'd had no skill set to start near the bottom in terms of age and ability. And if you think about it, the majority of our coaches come in at that age and ability level because they're parents. It's so hard. I think we need to do a much better job of empowering those people to do things simply with constraints and make it fun and, and challenge the players to not, you know, play X's and O's hockey. So I have, okay. I have all the respect in the world for the parents, man. Woo. I'm like, I need another coach to coach my kid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely tough. And I'll add one more piece there going with it is if you're doing skating drills, do it in ovals or unconstrained in like one zone rather than lines up and down the ice. Like nothing like you get like access to doing the movement pattern, maybe eight times in lines right. down and back, down and back. Meanwhile, if you're in an oval, like you get that in a lap, or if you're doing unconstrained in the zone based on like do agility work. Okay. You got to play tag, but you'll have to stick handle a puck. Now you got to keep your head up while stick handling. You got to be looking around. Like that's oh, I love tag. much better. Every age group, all tag all the time. I, uh, I was yesterday, I had four practices different from my daughter's U9 all the way up to U18B. This U18B team is, those are like my favorite team. They're so hilarious. They're, they're like a bit sandbaggy. Like they have a couple A players, like they're really good, but they're just, they're a hilarious group of humans. And we play, I couldn't do this with my daughter's team because they can't skate backwards well enough yet. But every other team we did backwards tag, right? We have to tag the player on the back and they all look at you. Like the first time they do it, they're like, how do we do that? One skating forward, the other one skating back. So like, it's going to be so easy. And then you see them all like crawling over the top of each other and like punching each other and like trying to figure out, like, no, you have to go behind them. Right. So now that player who's going backwards is you know squaring up. Like so they don't know, nor do I tell them that they're like working on defending a one-on-one -on -one because they're trying to stay square because they're trying to protect their back from being tagged. Right. But it, I mean, the agility, like that was our warm up for five minutes there it was hilarious like there's kids like pile driving each other and like because they they're just having fun with it but like you know if i had said okay now we're going to skate backwards in a straight line and do this like you don't get the same joy nor do you get the same development out of it but you know our our little u9s like tag is in every single practice british bulldog is in every single practice not because i need them to have fun because actually that's great development why you know like, why wouldn't we do this? Right. So, and why wouldn't we do that with the U18 kids either? Right. Like that backwards tag is going to be very useful for them as well. So 
yeah, I love, I love small area games as long as they're like not just randomly placed to just like be a, a, a placeholder. Like I'd love it if you could take practice plans from a skill to a concept to a small area game and have it all sing together. And that's a lot of what I do with my practices. Like you go from, from the curriculum from A to Z, right? And you try to get as far as you can, but it all is the same theme, the whole practice versus 10 minutes of breakout, 10 minute of power play, 10 minute of attack, 10 minute of this. I just don't think that's an efficient way to teach. Um, again, younger age groups, you just need a bevy of skills because that's what they need to develop. But once you get above U13, you, you can spend a whole practice on breakouts and take it from retrievals all the way to full ice with pressure if you want. Um, I think you're going to get a lot more out of the players them understanding how things develop, doing it that way, than just doing 10 minutes of breakouts every single practice, right? Um, but again, that's that's a little bit more of the art of it and maybe more for, for coaches who have a little more time or a little bit more um, inclination to to have a curriculum that works, but I, I have, I work with 31 competitive teams. Like we have to have some consistency in our development or else I'd be writing 30 practice plans a week and that's not going to work. Right. So we need to have these themes um, and I have consistency across the organization in terms of player development. So lots of fun. I'll still be drawing, drawing drills till I'm 70. I'm sure. Yeah. Are you going to be one of these folks where they take you out of the rink in a box? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I do love it, honestly. And I really love the skill development piece and the player. Like I love going on the bench. Don't get me wrong. I like turn into a different person when I'm on the bench. It's actually quite funny. Um, I, I never chirped when I was a player, but when I'm on the bench, it's like this, I am a sarcastic person. It's like, I just like go like a, a switch flips and I'm like the sarcasm just like oozes out of me. It's, I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I like development and empowerment of people. Like that's really what I think I do with total female hockey is empowering other people with the tools that they can use to drive their own success. So if that's players, cool. If that's coaches, great. If that's people come on my website and like read an article, amazing. Cause I can't be there to facilitate it all. Right. Like you can come on the ice with me. That's great. I, I'm not on, like, I'm a bit scarce. <laughs> it's only one of me. Right. But if you can read that article, like if I had, had access to my website when I was 13, my God would have been down that rabbit hole of videos and articles every single day. And I think that's, you know, to leave a bit of a legacy, I don't think I, you know, I might not be, out, they might not be taking me out in a box. Um, but I really do enjoy the creativity of it and the challenge of it. Um, whether it's, you know, the highest level players or the lowest level players. And it's so rewarding now to see, how many of my players I coached are now coaches, right? Like that to me is extremely rewarding. Um, even the ones who aren't there yet, like how well they're doing in university or, or, you know, now like family life, real life. I mean, I know a lot of coaches say that that's how, you know, you're old when you're like, Oh, my, my players are now doctors. You're like, Oh my God, have I been coaching for that long? Um, but it's, it, you know, it's really cool for me. And I don't know how many coaches have had this experience to coach for 15 years of other people's kids and now I've got my own kids and presumably another 12 years with them. It's a really interesting pathway, right? And I might just go, you know, all the way through with them and then go back to that highest level and, and do that again. But um, 
it's really like I feel very, uh, uh, I guess, well traveled, and coming back to this these young age groups and go, okay, like I I've been to the top of the mountain, and now I'm coming back down, um, and I you know it's it's just been it's been a challenge. It's been a good challenge to like, can you take those same skills you're doing with the top top top, which is so easy, like we talked about, can you do it with an entry level rep team at U11? That is hard so hard they can't make a pass like a good one right but you still you can't just work on passing so probably not out in a box but hopefully there'll be a lot of people who've many years that you've and many people that you've been able to impact over those years yeah uh, yeah if they're being doctors they've probably uh yeah been around a few years because it takes a while to get there (laughs) it does take a while and I, i think you know it's hopefully you know, the way it's not what we do, but the way we do it, hopefully that's what that moves forward. Because, um, like I said, I can give anyone my, my drills and my practice plans, like, you know, email me, I'll send them to you. It's, it's the, like how you actually communicate that and impart it and the way you empower those people that, that really is, I think what we do uniquely well, um, in the female hockey community. And, and it, that's to me is the gift. And if those coaches, then, you know, the players I've coached who are now coaching, I watch them and I'm so proud of the way that they coach. Don't really care about their results, but the way they approach it, the way they, you know, approach communication and relationships and the development of people. That's really what we're doing. Cause at the end of the day, we're just chasing a little black thing around the ice and we're not making, like I said, Connor McDavid money anytime soon. So while we might have a handful of players who play, you know, we'll have a bunch who play college hockey. You might have a handful who play pro hockey. You know, really, we're giving them a skill set that they can use in real life, right? When they are doctors or whatever the heck else they are. Um, that's really what we're trying to do. We're just doing it through hockey. Um, and yeah, it's pretty awesome. So I think I'll probably be involved in hockey till they take me out in a box. Um, but uh, who knows what level. Maybe I'll be coaching my grandkids by then. That's a dream. Oh my gosh. I hope I live that long. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. That, that would be the coolest. Um, Kim, thank you so much for coming on. This is a blast and enjoyable conversation. I hope everyone uh, feels the same way that I do and you probably do as well, but thank you so much. This is fantastic. No, it's been Where can my everyone pleasure. find you? Well, you can find me at totalfemalehockey.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I post a lot of random stuff, mostly hockey and then some pictures of my cute kids that's a total female hockey underscore but uh, if they want to email me if they have questions i i really like helping coaches and, and people from all over um you can email me at kim at totalfemalehockey.com and if if there's if you're coaching in the female game and uh or playing in the female game and there's some you know burning question you have about how to progress uh i'm happy to help uh it's it's one of my favorite things to do is to get an email from someone from japan and be like hey i coach you 12 girls, like help me out. Uh, I really enjoy those types of conversations because I learn a lot from them as well. So uh, always here to help and um, hopefully people find our resources useful and um, yeah, keep growing the game. Yeah. Sign up for the Hockey IQ newsletter while you're at it, right? I signed up for it. It's really good. Actually, I always think Greg, Greg stole. I'm like, is Greg in my brain? Was he at my practice last night? How does he know that? How did he know I just did that? Um, no, definitely sign up for the newsletter and, uh, we've got one too, um, with total female hockey. But, uh, like I said, I'm just here to help and to fill that void 
um, that uh, wasn't filled when I was a young player. And, and you know, I think we'll be doing that for a long time. So I appreciate the time, Greg, and I uh, wish everyone best of luck in the rest of the season. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.